you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Welcome to Legendary Africa, the podcast where a disembodied voice speaks, shouts, swears, and whispers African myths and legends straight into your ear canal. Before we begin, I have some important announcements to make. The podcast will be taking a break from September to November. I hope to be back in time for December, and maybe a few Christmas specials. I'll be moving to Edinburgh in uh, September for my PhD, and with my annual review in November, I'm taking some time away from the podcast to focus on all of that. It's really very exciting, and equally as terrifying. But I should have lots of news, exciting things, maybe a few pictures, ooh, maybe a few videos. Alright then, let's get on to today's episode. Episode 25, Monster Tales, Sankalala, Ebigane, and Burgu. Today's episode is monsterific, and to start us off, we're going to sub-Saharan Africa, to the Hausa people, where the tale of the mighty Zankalala instills fear in all other beings. The Hausa people live primarily in Nigeria, Niger, Ivory Coast, Benin, and Cameroon, as well as several other countries in sub-Saharan Africa. Over the last 500 years, the Hausa have migrated across Africa, but the oldest dwelling of the Hausa people is Daura in northern Nigeria. During the 12th century AD, the Hausa were among Africans' leading traders, exporting materials such as gold, salt, cloth, henna, leather, and slaves. And we're gonna pause to let my dog bark. Two weeks later. Sorry about that. That was, in fact, Athena, the doggo. During the 12th century AD, the Hausa were among Africa's leading traders, exporting materials such as gold, salt, cloth, henna, leather, and slaves. A consequence of this trade was the increasing influence of Islam, and by the 14th century, Islam was the dominant religion amongst the Hausa people. This led to the creation of the modified Arabic script called Ajami, which was used in the 15th century. In 1463, Muhammad Rumfa was the Sultan of the Sultanate of Kano in northern Nigeria until 1499. He built the Grand Gedan Rumfa, a large palace which you can still visit today as well as promoting slaves to governmental positions and creating the Kormi market, which is still in operation today, and is one of the oldest and largest African markets to exist. The Hausa people also lay claim to the legendary figure Queen Aminatu, who was supposed to have ruled the kingdom of Zazao between the 15th and 16th century. A tremendous figure in legend, Queen Aminatu was highly praised for military skills, bravery, and successful expeditions, as well as for her architectural skills. She oversaw the building of the strong walls which surrounded her city. Made out of earth, they were named Amina's Walls in her honour. If you want to hear more about Queen Aminatu, I highly recommend you check out the episode called Queen Aminatu by the fantastic podcaster and author Lane Marie Diney, who hosts the African storytelling podcast Giraffe's Eggs and Other African Tales. A link to the podcast will be in the show notes. Due to the influence of Islam, the Hausa's main languages outside of Hausa 
the indigenous tongue, are Arabic, English, and French. The Zankalala. mighty creature feared by all, yet impossibly small. The size of two clenched fists, the Zankalala holds in his right hand a snake, as if it were a walking stick. Instead of shoes, he wears scorpions on his spears, and a swarm of bees for a hat. He rides a jaboa, a hopping desert rodent known for carrying deadly diseases. Following him wherever he goes is a flock of birds, who frequently attack those who seek to harm him singing his praises as they go. The Hauza tell of a tale involving the Sankalala and the terrible swallower of men, the Dodo. One day, long ago, a young boy of eight was walking along the riverbank, a large earthen pot in one hand. He had been sent by his mother to retrieve water from the river so that she could cook for the day. Fill up the entire pot, boy, and be sure not to stray too far by the river. His mother warned him, placed the pot in his small but strong hands. There have been rumours of the Dodo, swallower of men, making his way down to us, and although you are not yet a man, the Dodo will not hesitate to warm his stomach with you, she added seriously. Yes, Mama, okay, he said, as she fussed over him, impatient to be off by the river. He did not think this Dodo was real, having never seen it himself, and having heard some of the older boys dismiss it with laughter when he brought it up. Still, as a good boy does, he promised his mother that he would be very careful, and off he ran. He met two of his friends by the river's edge, who also clutched dusty red pots in their hands. After they had collected the water, they joked with each other and playfully fought and tussled on the bank, careful not to knock over any of the pots. Jumping into the water, they laughed and splashed their faces, daring each other to see how long the other could hold their breath. Unbeknownst to the playing boys, their laughter and cries had attracted the attention of the fearsome Dodo, who lurked not too far upstream. With glinting eyes and a toothy smile, it began slowly making its way through the water, barely rippling the surface. Eventually, the boys grew tired and realized that the day was getting away from them. Eager to avoid the anger of their mothers, they quickly got out of the water and patted themselves down before gingerly picking up their pots of water. The two friends began walking back, calling to the younger boy as he struggled with his heavy pot. As he finally balanced the pot on his head and took one step forward, the great swallower, the mighty Dodo, sprang out of the river, teeth flashing, throat enlarging, as it prepared to clamp its jaws around the small boy's body. But at the last second, the boy... Having heard the water splash behind him, threw himself out of the way, letting his pot of water fall without a second glance. The Dodo's jaws clamped around air as it fell heavily to the ground. The two other boys screamed and ran as quickly as they could up the riverbank. But the smaller boy, as he scrambled up in great fear and terror, ran the opposite way in confusion. He ran and ran, tripping over branches and cutting his feet on small rocks buried in the sand until finally his foot caught on a root and he fell to the ground. Panting and crying, he could hear the dodo approaching quickly behind him. 
Suddenly, to his great surprise and horror, a small creature hopped into view. It was a jaboa, and atop it rode his uncle Ala. The boy's face paled. He had heard terrible stories of the Zankalala from his uncle. A quick prayer fell from his lips and he closed his eyes, an image of his mother flashing before him as he prepared for death. But the Zankalala did not attack him. Instead, he merrily dismounted, his snake stick hissing as he strode towards the boy. Where are you going, boy? asked the Zankalala. Its dark eyes shining up at him. I, I'm trying to go, go home, but a mighty daughter is about to find me and eat me," replied the boy in a shaky voice. The Zankalala chuckled and motioned for the boy to step behind him. <laughs> that daughter will not harm you today, boy. Come, stand behind me and watch how Zankalala deals with this mighty daughter," it said, with a spine-chilling grin. The boy, confused and scared, stepped behind the tiny monster, heart thumping heavily in his chest as the sounds of the dodo grew louder. With the mighty thump of his snake stick, the Zankalala summoned a silk cotton tree, which grew quickly over him, blocking the boy from sight. Not a second later, the dodo came roaring out towards him, but screeched to a stop before the giant silk cotton tree. It stared at the tree in confusion for a few minutes, and suddenly a strange sort of singing started from the top of the tree branches. Blue and grey birds chirped down a song to the dodo. The lion is afraid of the zankalala, hyena is afraid of the zankalala. Dodo is afraid of the Zankalala. The song infuriated Dodo, and it roared angrily up at the birds. Dodo is afraid of no one. Where is my prey, you puny beings? He bellowed up at them. But the birds didn't answer. Instead, the silk cotton tree answered. What prey have you given me, old Dodo? Dodo was now very frustrated, and turning fully towards the tree, roared out. If you will not give up my prey, then I will eat you instead. I know you are hiding in this tree. And with a mighty swipe, plunged its hand into the tree, picked up the Zankalada, and gobbled up the tiny creature. But no sooner did the Zankalada disappear down the Dodo's throat, did it emerge out of its stomach, a small smile on its face. The grey and blue birds sang out even louder with joy. Dodo let out a savage growl as he heard the song grow louder and pounced on the Zankalada, swallowing the creature and its snake stick. But no sooner did the Zankalada disappear down the dodo's throat, did it emerge out of its back. A slightly larger smile on its face. The grey and blue birds sang out with joy at the top of their lungs. Dodo's entire body shook with fury, but the cry that sent the waters fleeing from their bed, the dodo widened its mouth and swallowed the Zankalada along with the entire silk cotton tree. Its face screwed up in pain as it swallowed the tree down, until finally 
The lump moved down his throat. <clears throat> After a tense moment, Dodo, satisfied at last that I had gotten rid of the peskies Uncle Lala and his stupid birds, turned towards the trembling young boy, now exposed, who sat crouched by the river. Now, at last, I can take my prey, you miserable little hack. <laughs> the dodo was cut off as it let out a shrill cry of pain and clutched its head. Moaning and rolling on the floor, it cried out over and over, until with a final gasp, the Zankalala, along with the entire silk cotton tree and the blue and grey birds, burst out of its head, killing the dodo instantly. The boy stood slowly in shock, as he watched the Zankalala dust itself off casually and walk slowly towards him. Now you may leave, young boy, but know that you survive, because Zankalala was stronger than the dodo, and you were lucky enough to have met me. We now journey on to Equatorial Guinea, Northern Gabon, and Southern Cameroon to sit down with the Fang people. Making up 85% of the total population in Equatorial Guinea, the Fang are the largest ethnic group in the region as well as in Northern Gabon. Their history has been preserved largely through a musical oral tradition, and the Mvet is the main instrument used for this. The Mvet is a string instrument and a person known as the Mbomo Mvet would go from village to village once a month, entertaining and informing the people with their songs. These songs would contain their history, culture, and traditions. The Fang were enslaved for the transatlantic and trans-Saharan slave trade between the 16th and 19th century, and were often accused of being vicious cannibals due to the boxes of bones which are found near their village. This was later discovered to be bones of their ancestors, and were merely a way for the Fang to pay respect to the memories of those who came before them. The bones were also thought to have magical powers of protection. Cannibalism, then, was simply a good excuse by terrible people for the cruel discrimination and treatment of the Fang people. The Ebigane Sometimes a human, sometimes an animal, or sometimes a twisted hybrid. The Ebigane often featured in legends or sagas, sung by the Mbomo Mvet. One tale speaks of a hero called Mefumu Mba Fumu, who embarked on a long and treacherous journey. He had been met by many challenges and terrifying beasts, but had conquered them all. Now he stepped forward and paused. He was on a high mountain. The sky was dark and stormy. The wind whistled as it began to grow in strength. Ahead of him, tying the two mountains together, was a bridge. This bridge, however, was no ordinary bold. This bridge was made out of hundreds and hundreds of pythons, twisted and knotted together, all alive and writhing like the worms in the rich soil beneath them. But Mefumu did not hesitate. With a glint in his dark eyes, he reached into his satchel and brought out his chosen weapon. 
a very small mouse. But this mouse would prove to be deadly. For with a quick breath, Mefumu, the hero, spat on the mouse's head and watched as it transformed in his large hand. The creature before him grew and grew until the hero had to hold it in two hands. Its ears fanned out like gigantic flower petals. Horns grew from the top of its head. Its legs lengthened. Large claws grew from its back paws, while the front paws narrowed into knobs, out of which a thick, single claw emerged. Thick, leathery wings sprouted from the front legs, while its tail grew and grew until it was able to whip out and wrap around Mefumo's entire forearm. The mouse had turned into an Ebe Gane, a bat-like creature with thick fur and strong wings. It shrieked loudly and bristled as it eyed the wriggling mass of snakes in front of it. Mefumo took from his satchel a red-paste crayon and with great calm and ease drew a thick red line on the Ebegane's head, from the base of its skull to the tip of its nose. The Ebegane growled and snatched the crayon from his fingers, crushing it to dust instantly. But Mefumu was not rattled. Indeed, the hero's face was a picture of stoic calm. There, Ebegane, look there, Mefumu said, pointing it towards the pythons. There's enough food there to last you several months. To work, mighty Ebegane! The creature rose up, shaking its head and hissing. Its gigantic ears flapped noisily against its head. Its wings spread out and up it went into the air, circling a few times before diving down like a well-aimed spear. It seized one python in its strong claws and another between its sharp teeth and, with a mighty flap of its wings, it flew off and away where it tore into its prey with delight. We have now arrived in Ethiopia to meet with the Guji Oromo, a people from southern Ethiopia. The Guji partake in an agro-pastoral lifestyle and are responsible for the preservation of the Guji zone in Ethiopia. The Guji zone is home to Adola, a gold mining area, Bada Magada, a dense natural forest, the Nakisa National Park, and Chakizo Adola evergreen forests. The Bulgu A terrifying, enormous ogre with four beady black eyes and a head in the shape of an axe. Its arms are long and stubbed, its legs are thick and so strong that they shake the very earth beneath it. One tale by the Gujioromo tell of two children, a brother and a sister, who are sent down to the river to fetch water. As the brother and sister fill up their pots, the ground beneath them begins to shake, as if an earthquake was ripping towards them. The children try to keep their balance, but can't save the pots as they tumble to the ground. An enormous shadow fell over them. Raising their trembling chins, 
the children paled as they saw a huge bulgu glaring at them. The boy opened his mouth to shout out, but before he could utter a single sound, the creature swiped the boy up and let him tumble into his huge mouth, swallowing him with a satisfied gulp. The girl was frozen in shock. The bulgu fixed its four gleaming eyes on her. Speak of this to anyone, little girl, and I will eat you and your entire family, he growled out. His words shocked the girl out of her petrified state, and she ran home, crying and wailing as she grieved for her brother. When she arrived home, her father asked what had happened, for he saw her upset state of mind, and realized that her brother had not returned. The girl opened her mouth to tell him everything, but the words of the bulgu sounded in her mind. He wandered off, Papa, and got lost. I do not know where, she answered, avoiding his gaze. The father knew something was wrong, but did not want to push his daughter in her fragile state. But as the days passed, his daughter refused to eat or drink, and wasted away until she could barely move. Finally, giving in to her guilt, the girl called her father, and quietly told him to build thick, strong, and tall fences around where she slept. Only then would she be able to tell him what happened to her brother. Her father instantly set about with his men to build the fence as instructed, taking Juniper to make a study. When it was done, and she was safe inside, the daughter told her father everything that had happened to them when they went to fetch water. The father was furious and felt anger cloud his mind. Placing a thick platform of branches over the top of the structure, he blocked his daughter from view, and set off with his spear and a few of his strongest men to go slay the Burgu and avenge his son. But little did they know that the Burgu had been hiding by the back edge of the village, and had heard with his excellent ears everything the daughter had said. As soon as the father and men had left the riverbank, the Bulgu entered the village and stood in front of the wooden structure. His heavy footsteps had been heard and felt by the girl, who dragged herself off the bed, fear lending her some strength. The Bulgu uttered ten magical words, and the structure fell apart. Just as the wooden shields collapsed, the girl wedged herself between her bed and a large boulder which sat behind it, holding her breath and trying not to utter a sound. The Bulgu began furiously searching for her, his axe-shaped head scraping around as he ripped the wooden structure apart. But he did not think to look behind the bed. Just as he was about to give up, the Bulgu sniffed as a faint odour met his nose. The girl felt her heart sink, for she had unknowingly urinated in fear. The Bulgu fixed its four eyes on her hiding spot. Frustrated at having failed in his hunt, the father arrived back in the village, only to find his strong wooden structure in pieces, and no sign of his daughter, aside from one single finger left behind by the bulgu. And now our episode draws to an end. Thank you so, so much for listening. I really enjoyed retelling these monsters' tales. I've adapted them and expanded them according to my own style. 
but kept largely true to the sources. I especially love strange, scary, and bizarre creatures, so exploring these three was a lot of fun, and a great way to take the podcast into its hiatus. Sources for these tales were For the Zankalala, A.J. N. Tremaine, House of Superstitions and Customs, 1913. For the Ebigane, T. Ndutume. Okay, I'm going to try to pronounce the title of this book. L'Emvet l'Homme l'Amour et l'Immortalité, 1993. And apologies for butchering French. For the Bulgu, C. Bader, Myths and Legends of the Horn of Africa, 2000. All sources were found on the bookofcreatures.com website, a great resource for African legendary creatures, and I explored from there. And now I must love and leave you. Legendary Africa is produced and edited by Hestia the Dog, written by Athena the Doggo, and hosted by me, the Shirapada. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review wherever you can, and remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at LegendaryPod1 and LegendaryPod. Check out the links to the podcast website and the Strange Up Strange website in the show notes. Until next time, remember to mask up, sanitize before you fraternize, and above all, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye!